Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Teeth Matter podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Halabian, and I know it's been a couple weeks since my last podcast release. Um, I'll apologize that I haven't been as consistent with my episodes, but recently I was on a trip to the Bahamas, and no, it wasn't a high-end luxury vacation. I actually went to Eleuthera, Bahamas with a beautiful group of people and the Glow Good Foundation to provide oral care and oral health education to the local community down there. And this was in partnership with Lenny Kravitz's organization called Let Love Rule, and this was their seventh mission. Yes, they have been going there for seven consecutive years. I was grateful and very honored to join them on this seventh trip. And I can't tell you what an incredible experience it was. If you haven't been on a mission trip before, I highly recommend this one. We went down there. We had 3D printers. We had international dentists. We had specialists. And everyone was just a like a true team to building out good oral care and doing the best we can for people who need it the most. So I've come off that trip on a bit of a high and I just can't stop talking about it. So if you're interested, check out the Glow Good Foundation, see how you can participate or donate however you can. And yeah, I hope to see you on the next one. But getting back to the podcast, Today's episode is with Dr. Vincent Buscemi. He is a biomimetic dentist out in Michigan. He's gone through his ups and downs and his challenges. And from that, he created his own podcast called the Vincent Buscemi Podcast, a survival guide for new dentists. And he is amazing. He pumps out content on the daily. And I can't wait to share his insight with you. Let's dive in. Hello, Dr. Vincent Buscemi. Thank you so much for joining us on the Teeth Matter podcast. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. You, I just want to take a second to really shout you out because a couple of weeks ago I was in a bad mood and I was posting some stuff on on Instagram and you sensed my, I don't know, I guess like my negative negative energy or my anxiety and you reached out to me and we had a conversation and you took time out of your personal life to make sure that I was doing okay so that's something that you want above and beyond for me so I appreciate that and I want to I want people to know what a kind person you are you are so nice as a fellow dentist I can feel when other dentists are in a poor or bad place so it was my pleasure to reach out and something that came up you know, you have a substack, and something that came up in my emails today was something about um, a notion of being nice or being kind. And I think a lot of us dentists get caught up in that, not knowing what the difference is or where to set our boundaries. So if you can just share what you, what that new thought is and what that means to you. Sure. And the only reason I have a newsletter is because of you, because <laughs> I didn't even know what substack was until like last week. So I appreciate it. So maybe like you. I'm a chronic people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I'm a chronic nice guy. I'll bend over backwards. Um, I do everything I can, or at least I did, to sacrifice everything about myself to help the people around me, especially patients. And it only hurt me in the end. So you kind of have to grow some thicker skin and realize that being nice to people 
can only hurt you and it hurts them as well. And there's a huge difference between being kind to other people, which is looking out for their well-being, but it's not always being nice to them. Interesting. I heard a similar story from someone else. They told me there's a difference between being nice and being polite. Like there's a limit as to how much energy you put into someone. So you will be polite and civil and obviously have their well-being in mind, but you don't need to overdo it and, you know, like blur those boundaries by being super nice because then you're taking away from yourself. 100%. And it's so easy as people that take care of other people. Like me and you, we take care of patients. We take care of our staff. We take care of our families. It's so easy at the end of the day to have done nothing for yourself all day. When did you come to a realization that you were being too nice at work? This morning. No, um, (laughs) it's been slowly building up. I have this maybe insecurity or this fear that we're in a staffing shortage. I've had a few hygienists come in, come out, come in, come out in the past year, maybe two years. And I worry, like like an insecure boyfriend would worry that their significant other is going to leave them. So I figure if I'm really, really nice to my staff and let them walk all over me, they'll stay. But that's a recipe for disaster for everyone. I mean, you're not the only person who thinks about the shortage. I see that around me in different offices as well. And I don't know why it's happening or where it's coming from. I would think that people actually need a job. But you're right when it comes to actually hiring people. It, hiring people and keeping people. There needs to be um, obviously a shared set of values. Do you have a certain hiring process or like a you know, hiring ethic that you go by to make sure that you, you bring in the right people? Obviously, it's not working. I, I mean, right now I have four really good staff, but I've had the same second hygienist role turn over like every couple months, and I just I don't have a good process. I interview the person, I have my staff interview the people, and then I have them do a working interview, and I kind of ask them what they want, mm-hmm. and it still is not working out. So I don't really have the best process of hiring people. I mean, it's not an easy process, but something that I heard from another um, dentist was he has, like you, he has the the employee or prospective employer employee interview with the team first, and the team will kind of filter, and then if that can't, if that person is a good candidate, then they'll come and interview you, or be interviewed by you. Yeah. So that this way, it's not wasting your time, and it's not wasting their time, and they're spending most of their time with the other team members to begin with. So this way they can actually sense whether it's a good energy or a good dynamic. And if there's any kind of issues, then there's also a conversation about it amongst all of them. And I agree. I try to hire based on culture fit and character. And it, mm-hmm. I mean, you've interviewed before. Maybe you've fibbed once or twice in your life. But I remember how many times have like, people interviewed and they project one type of person. Right. And then when they work, they're a different type of person. So it's good to get multiple different sets of eyes on one person because I have blind spots where I just can't see this negative characteristic in someone where maybe someone else can. And right now you mentioned that you have a team. Where is it? Where are you practicing now and how many people are you managing? So I work in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan, which is like 30 minutes north of Detroit. And I have four team members but they've all have followed me from other jobs. So I've owned my practice for three years now, but I've known my hygienist for 10. 
and I've known both of my assistants for probably four or five years and my front desk a little more. So I've known all my team members longer than I've owned the practice I'm in right now. But that's a, that's a compliment to you because if you've known them for longer than you've been actually working together, that means that obviously you had a good experience together in another office or another practice or at some point in life and they've actually you know, net, gravitated to you. So kudos. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, maybe to a fault and maybe you're similar. I'm always thinking, how can I take care of these people, not as so much their boss, but like help them develop as people? Mm-hmm. How can I help them with their personal finances or help them with motivation or help them with health or something that makes them better overall? And I, I think that sticks with some people. With other people, it doesn't. Right. And so now that you're, you said you own your practice for three years now, what were you doing before that? Were you an associate? Nope. I owned 25% of a large practice 10 miles up the road, and mm-hmm. I had three business partners, and I know they don't listen to your podcast, so they are piles of SHIT, and we split up in a nasty, nasty business divorce, which ended up in court, and I broke off and opened up my own place about 10 miles down the road. And how did, you know, the whole litigation process take an effect on you professionally and personally? It, I'm very lucky that I have a really strong marriage. It just worked out. We met when we were 18. We had the same values. We've been together for almost, hold on now, 36, almost 20 years now. So, but it nearly financially destroyed me. There was a point where I probably had 5,000, 2,000 left in my bank account. And I have four kids and it really stressed my marriage and almost brought us to the breaking point. So if I can tell anyone, if you can avoid litigation, please do. But in my case, I couldn't. Do you think that dentistry, the, the, the dream of dentistry is financial security, but do you think that's necessarily true? Do you think that actually exists? Okay. I'm a cynic at heart and I don't want any young dentist to feel bad what I'm about to say but I think the universities are the first culprits in this to like destroy financial freedom for dentists because you're saddled with so much debt with certain schools not all schools but if you come out of school with $500,000 in debt imagine how much money you have to actually make to pay off that debt it's insane and I hate to be so negative on your podcast I'm, I'm not a negative person but inflation's going up Staff wages are going up. Dentists are being squeezed. Insurance rates are going down in every direction. So you can be financially free, absolutely, but you have to be very skilled and strategic in how you do it. That brings me to my next question. What would your recommendations be for someone who's trying to navigate that right now as a new dentist who has that much debt and is a little bit, you know, constrained? I still think... Practice ownership is the way to go. I really do. Over an associateship for multiple reasons. I still believe in the American dream. If you can own something and the business that you own helps people, you made it. If I could go back, I'd probably do the military to pay off school. But if not, it's too late. I would own a practice, live way below your means, and never take dental insurance. And just slowly build up a fee-for-service practice. And when you say practice ownership, is that sole ownership or would you go 
would I mean you had a negative experience but would, does that deter you from going into another shared practice or was it just a matter of you having bad luck with these associates maybe I'm the piece of shit um, I'm jaded <laughs> um, but I read anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of dental business partnerships end up in litigation so wow. I think not that business partnerships don't work my father's 75 He's not a dentist, but his business partner's 82, and they've been in business for 40 years together. So I would lean towards, though, be a solo owner. I think mm -hmm. the rewards of that outweigh the risk of being in the partnership. Did you have any fears or hesitations when you went in as a solo owner? Because obviously there's more responsibility on your own shoulders. Oh, for sure. And all the fears I had three years ago, I had the same fears now and probably more because I know more about solo ownership. The hardest thing about solo ownership is if you're not turning that drill, you're not making money. And let's say like you go out for a CE course or you go on vacation. It's hard to tell your staff you can't work this week because your staff needs those hours to live. Most staff live paycheck to paycheck. So not only are you gone not making money, your overhead stays the same. So I think on average, my overhead is 15000 a week, so 60000 a month. So if I'm gone for one week, it cost me 15000 plus the vacation. And we went to Disney in August, and that's like a million dollars. So it cost me a million dollars plus 15000 to take that week off. So you really have to budget your money and know your cash flow day in and day out if you're solo ownership. Now, a lot of us dentists don't have that financial literacy or financial education. Where would you go to to learn about that? I mean, you obviously have some experience being a shared owner, but where can one get that kind of financial jargon? The only way to learn is doing it. The only way to know how to know cash flow is to overdraw in your account. It's to bounce a check. It's to not balance the books right. So I do work with a bookkeeper, and that does help. But like, just like dentistry, the only way to cut a crown prep, you have to do it 100 times to be average at it. I have a question for you. This is just off track, but if you were to do it all over again, would you pick dentistry? No. Interesting. What would you do instead? I don't know. I don't know. So what I really don't like about dentistry, I find dentistry to be the best job in the world and the worst job in the world. But what irritates me about dentistry is that a license is attached to your job. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm going to lose my license, but let's say somebody loses their license, they can no longer do their job. There's other jobs that aren't attached to a license. I feel like that's a safer profession because nobody can take your ability to earn money. Interesting. And so now you're, you have your practice, you're a solo owner, but you're also, also a podcaster. Like you're venturing out into different domains of dentistry like this is the, this is a more creative side of dentistry I think or a more entrepreneurial side of dentistry um, what's your goal with your tell us a little bit about your podcast but also what your goal is with your podcast so I have the second best dental podcast right behind teeth matters it's <laughs> called the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast just like your podcast this is why I love your podcast it's all non-clinical it's all about finance relationship communication leadership health and I love that stuff. And my goal is to basically provide a platform for dentists to learn the non-clinical side of dentistry. The podcast, I think, is 
two years or two and a half years old, um, I've made $200 in two years. So I'm not yet there on being financially stable from the podcast. One day, one day one, soon. I mean, one day. Listen, two years is a long time. Like in the entrepreneurial world, in the podcast world, that's a, that's a hit. That's yeah. a hit. So yeah. I applaud you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, like you clearly had this like awakening that you needed more balance in your life. At what point did you realize you needed that balance, and what changes did you make? So life is short. And 18 months ago, my maybe two years ago, my sister was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She's alive today by the grace of God, by luck, by whatever you say. However, when she was diagnosed, basically they told us we have no idea how long she's going to live. I'm thinking to myself, well, shit. Let's say something terrible happened. Let's say I have something genetic that's the same as her. I can't live day in and day out doing something that's not creative and helping people in a way I want to help them. So I said, fuck it. I'll start the podcast. Even if I make no money on it the rest of my life, it still fills up my bowl, my bucket, my soul. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel better. So honestly, it was that that changed my mind. That's incredible. I'm happy to hear that your sister's doing well too. And that's uh, kind of opened up new doors for you. And like, it's been an outlet for you to learn from other dentists as well. Right. On how to uh, be oh my gosh. And, and keep saying, and <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Talking to people like you and other dentists and non-dentists, it, it makes it so worthwhile. What would you say you wished you knew before you went into dentistry? I wish I knew how painful it was, and I'll, be, I'll explain this, how painful it was emotionally and physically to be a dentist. I wish I knew that. You shared with me that you had a clinical outcome that wasn't ideal when we talked on the phone, and it hurt you, hurt you really deep. I wish somebody would explain to me that you're going to feel that a lot throughout your career, but when you feel that, that means you're trying to get better. Nobody tells you how painful it is to be a dentist. And if you're a non-dentist, you'll think I'm complaining. But if you're a dentist, like you totally understand what I mean. That's so true. And it's funny because when you apply to become a dentist or you apply to dental school, like you do all these extracurricular things, which include volunteering, include shadowing for most people. Like I observe this person and that person, specialist, general dentist. But I never really saw them take on that pain like I didn't see them in pain so I didn't understand how difficult dentistry could be so I just go to the office they have a patient everyone's happy the hygienist is talking to them the assistant's talking to them they're laughing the doctor comes in all good and mighty and everyone leaves happy I didn't necessarily see any like challenges in the process maybe because I was unaware of the clinical aspect I didn't notice it but I feel like no one was really, if someone sat with me at that moment in time, I was like, Ellie, dentistry is difficult. Just like, don't look at this moment and think that tomorrow or the next patient after is going to be any easier. If we didn't have that. My take is this. If you go to your dentist and you're like, do you like your job? And he's like, I hate it. I want to kill myself. No one wants to go see him because he hates his job. So he, dentists, I think are afraid to tell people that shadow them. They don't like their job because most of the people that shadow me are my patients. So I'm not going to tell all my patients how painful my job is. Again, dentistry is very rewarding, right. but 
I'm not out there sharing. I'm not on my Google business saying like I, my job is painful because <laughs> people won't come to me. But I, I think young dentists or students don't get that real world experience from dentists, which is a shame. Now, when we both know dentistry is painful and we just talked about that, but did you find an, a, like a type of dentistry that you do today that helps you avoid that pain or gives you less pain? 100%. So there's two ways you can view dentistry. I have friends who are really good at all aspects of dentistry, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. I take a different route. I want to limit my practice as much as I can and become the absolute best at one or two things, like a specialist, but I'm a generalist. And that makes it so much less painful, so much more rewarding because I have people that travel out of state to see me. I have friends that refer family and friends and and like all my specialists, I treat a lot of their parents because the specialist trusts me on my specific thing. And it is so rewarding to be able to be really good at something and provide that service to help people. Can I ask what kind of dentistry you're practicing now? Like what no, specific procedure? <laughs> I practice biomimetic dentistry. So I trained under the Alamans. I think it's 60 credit hours online. It cost 10 grand at the time. It's, I think it's like double now. Mm-hmm. But basically it's minimally invasive adhesive dentistry and I have a Sarek machine. So everything I do in the mouth is above the gums. There's no blood. I use a rubber dam for everything. It's very predictable. And that predictability and being really good at it and the lack of pain after procedures makes the job very rewarding. When you do something like biomimetic dentistry, it's very, I mean, it's very detail-oriented. It takes a lot more time. It's not quadrant dentistry. What kind of scheduling do you have? I mean, how many patients do you see a day? How do you plan out your days? So I think, so like a Sarah Crown, I'd say like 30, I'll do 90 minutes for the prep and the seal, 30 minutes for like making it, and then 30 minutes to seed it. So like anywhere from two hours to two and a half hours for a single molar. But if I'm gonna do like a molar and add a premolar on it, because I'm already in there, I'll only add an extra 30 minutes. So if I do like, let's say 29 and 30, I'll schedule three hours for that. Okay. And I'll do like a hygiene exam while the crown's being made. So maybe I'll see in a nine hour day, three people, or an ideal day would be that, like three or four crowns in nine hours and see three or four patients. I I appreciate that because a lot of the times when you start practicing dentistry, you're in an office with an, uh, an owner who dictates your schedule, but also doesn't give you the time to like focus on certain procedures, right? Because there's, you're, you're seeing X amount of patients per day, you might be double booked. So you don't get that quality time. What made you want biomimetic dentistry? What interested you in biomimetic dentistry so that you would have more control over your schedule? That's a really good question. Multiple things. The main thing was post-operative sensitivity. I feel like the first nine years of my career, every crown I did, every fifth crown I did, like needed the root canal. So it's like every fifth person you treat, you're like, you're the one. In the year, you'll need a root canal. Um, The second thing is the quality of my life was so much lower the more patients I saw during the day. I'm an introvert, as introverted as you can get. And my limit's like I can talk to four people a day, minus hygiene. If I'm seeing 10, 12 people a day 
and I'm rushing and I'm not like sure I did a good job or the cement wasn't dry or the floss didn't go through perfectly, I would go home and think about that. So I would go home and I would think about the mesial canal in 14 I may have missed. And it would ruin my evening because my wife would be like, what the hell are you thinking about? I'd be like, MB2. And she's like, who's MB2? What does she mean to you? So I find that the less people I see during the day, the better my evening is with my family. Interesting. Now, is there anything that you would want to tell someone who's a new dentist or someone who's trying to navigate their way and like it feels confused as to what kind of dentistry they should practice? Go slow. I'm the happiest I am during the day, the least stressed and the happiest at home when I worked slow, steady and slow. When I feel like I'm rushing, it ruins the day for my staff, for me, and it ruins the day at home. If you get that stressed, when you're, not everyone feels this way, but if you get stressed when you're rushed, you have to slow down. I mean, I w- wish I could slow down, but sometimes being someone else's associate, you don't have that luxury. Like, what would you recommend for someone like me who is in that position? How do I slow down if I can't control my schedule? You got to make a stand. So either you work fast and you don't feel good about yourself or you slow down and you take what your boss gives you. So if you slow down so much to where your boss is like, you're too slow, you're fired, it wasn't the place for you. The reason why your boss is doing that because probably you're in PPO and he or she needs to make more money per procedure. You, the happiest you'll be as an associate is finding an office that fits the way that you work. There's no way around that. No, that's really good advice, something that I should take into practice. It's hard because now that I've just started working, I've only been out of school um, for a year, and I'm trying to find a practice that suits me. I was working in like a, what you call like a FQHC, which is like similar to a Medicaid mill. And that was really hard because I wasn't doing quality dentistry. It was just patchwork. Insurance limited the type of procedures that I could do and patients didn't have the money to do them. Now I'm in another office and I'm doing really well there. I'm really happy. I have a mentor in that office, but I'm also trying to explore different, um, other, explore other associateships just to see if there's any differences or if I'm gonna obviously experience something else just to gain that insight. Um, did you ever do any, did you go straight into practice or did you, I mean, did you go straight into ownership with your, with the other three owners? No, I worked for my childhood dentist, my first job. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, he pulled me back and he said, Vince, you are the worst dentist I've ever hired and you're fired. Mm-hmm. So my very first job, my boss told me he's never seen a worse dentist in his life and kicked me out of his practice. And he was my childhood dentist. That's soul crushing. Oh my, I was, I went right into Medicaid and I thought, and this is nothing negative about Medicaid dentists. They're good people. They're doing the best they can, but maybe the quality of work might be lower in Medicaid. I'm just guessing. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to hang out in a Medicaid type clinic the rest of my career because obviously I have some genetic deformity that's making me the worst dentist ever to live. And I thought that way for three years while I worked in Medicaid. How did you get out of that negative mindset? I burnt out. I was pulling 50, 200 teeth a day. And I didn't get out of the negative mindset, but my quality of life was so poor, I had to move jobs and just take a risk. 
Mm. And the only way I got out, not to cut you off, the only way I left the negative mindset was I finally found a niche of dentistry I'm really good at, patients I like, and staff that I like. It took 10 years to do it. So being in these other offices and doing dentistry that you didn't like, do you feel like because being stuck in those offices, your, I guess, skill level diminished? Did you feel that? My skill levels for crowns, fillings, and like fixed stuff, and Medicaid for sure diminished because I only did like one crown a year. Um, I got really good at extractions. Um, where you are, you have to keep doing the same thing over and over and over to get better at it. But you're like the skill of being a dentist, no matter where you are, will always get better if you're trying to get better. Because half the battle, if not more, is patient management, time management, how you talk to yourself. And no matter where you're going to be in a job, you'll get better at that. And the skills you'll get back, no matter where you go. I think being in an FQHC for me, I was doing a type of dentistry that I, that kind of, I guess, diminished my skill level because I wasn't focusing on things that I like to do. And so now that I'm in this new office, I find these new things a little bit more challenging. And I'm like, well, do I, have I wasted my time? That's how no. I think about it. You have not. Everything you're doing, I know you, you're getting better. You really are. So you, I promise you did not waste your time. You only waste your time if you go in every day and you're like, I hate this job, I hate myself, and you do the absolute worst work every day. What are some things that you do to keep yourself in a positive mood on a daily? Exercise. I do pray. And are you familiar with the Stoics, the ancient philosophy of Stoicism? So pick up any book about Stoicism, and they talk about something called negative visualization which is like gratitude on steroids. If you temporarily think about how much more worse life could be, what if my sister died two years ago? What if I had a kid with brain cancer? What if I lost my leg? What if I went to Michigan State? No, I'm joking. So if you like think to yourself like, what if life was like this and your life is not like that, it will instantly make you feel better. What if you pulled the wrong tooth today? What if, like, you stab yourself with an HIV needle? There's so many different ways life could be worse. And that is the best way daily to recalibrate your life. Because somebody right now is on a ventilator in a hospital begging they'd be in a position like me and you to be in the podcast. You're absolutely right. That does bring some great, like, gratitude into the picture. Are there any last words you want to share with the audience? I think, a re- yeah, I think a really good practical advice that I wish I would have followed is stay in an associateship two or three years because you need to see your old work come back to learn why it failed. Like everything I did in the Medicaid clinic failed, everything. Cause I was bulk filling, had terrible isolation. Or like if you break a root tip off and you leave it in there and it comes back a year later, you need to be in a job long enough to see your previous failures so you can get better long term. I like that. I actually really appreciate that. Thank you. Because I know a lot of people think that they should try a few places at once or jump around from place to place because the fit isn't great. But I mean, obviously, you want to be somewhere that you like to work, but to be there long enough where you can see recurring patients, that's when you can actually assess your work. Yes, because if you leave every 18 months, you'll never see that crown that pops off after two years. 
Doc, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time and your insights, and I'm sure everyone else will too. Is there, do you want to give, um, you know, the name of your podcast, the different platforms you're on, your Instagram handle, so that they can get in touch with you? Yes. So before I do that, thank you for doing this, Ellie. I, when I was a first year student, I was like still learning how to like, or dentist, still learning how to like tie my shoes. And you live in New York City. You're on your own. You have a podcast. You're killing it. So I really I appreciate, appreciate you. Thank My you. podcast is the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, the survival guide for dentists. I'm on Instagram, Vince DDS, and I have a newsletter with seven subscribers. Ellie's one of them. <laughs> and that is the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast newsletter. And that's about it. Amazing. Everyone join the newsletter. Go check out the podcast. Go on his Instagram. He has amazing reels on the daily. Dr. Vincent, appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow our podcast, write a review, leave a comment. Anything you share with us goes a long way. And if you think a friend will appreciate this podcast, then make sure you share it with them too. Until next time, cheers.